Our scripture reading on this Mother's Day is one of the most amazing stories of an adoptive mother in all of uh, scripture. It's from the book of Exodus in chapter 2. Our reading today begins at verse 1. God had an enormously important and challenging job for his servant Moses, and yet the woman who, that, who, in whose care he was placed already as an infant was not his birth mother. It's an extraordinary story. Here's the story. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord.
She looks toward the future with joy. She teaches their children true lessons of kindness and shares with them wisdom the world can't destroy. In the name of God our Father, in the name of Christ Jesus our Savior, and in the name of God the Holy Spirit, my dear friends, what a pleasure it is to be able to share a few words from the Word with you on Mother's Day. It's a, it's a really big day. Just as birthdays really have a value so that at least once a year we take time to notice the significance of the people around us, I'm terrified to think how long it might take uh, I might go for years before really acknowledging my own mother and the mother of my children. And this is an annual time for me to remember and to take care of business and make sure these important women know how privileged we are to have them in our lives. I'm not sure what you've been doing for your personal plans, but today is not the day to allow any of this to slip on any longer. So my encouragement is that you really make these wonderful women feel important, as important as they are. I'd like to, though, add a little uh, flavor to our observance this year. Sometimes off on the edges of the, the Mother's Day hubbub and excitement are people who care for children to whom they did not give birth. Call them adoptive mothers. Do they really feel loved and appreciated today. It's a hard gig. It's hard to love a child you didn't give birth to the same way as if you had. It's hard because you don't always get loved back the same way that someone might love back a birth mother. Or to all of the foster mothers, this is an even harder gig because foster children, as they grow a little bit older, don't have to stay with you. And there often is a lot of pain and separation and hardship that goes with foster mothering. Or the ones that don't even get mentioned at all, but all within a family, all the women who take care of children that they didn't give birth to, all of the grandmas who have to become mamas all over again, are a shout out to you today. All of the aunties, and great aunties who have taken in children to care for them when their own life has been disrupted. We want you to know that you are in our embrace on this Mother's Day as well. I want to read a story from Scripture. You might not be real familiar with this one. Uh, I happen to be a history nerd, so this is the part of the Bible that's fun for me. Probably a lot of people don't think it's fun. It comes from the middle 800s B.C., and it's in the story, uh, get your Bibles out, it's in Second Chronicles, and I'd like you to turn to chapter 22. We're going to hear a story 
of an evil king, the fifth king of Judah. He was terrible. The first one, Rehoboam, was kind of a bonehead, and he, because of his poor judgment, he's the one who split the nation of Israel in half, so that just the tribe of Judah with what was ever left over of Simeon and maybe a little bit of Benjamin was basically peeled off from all of the, all the rest, often loosely called the 10 northern tribes. And they became called the nation of Israel. And then Judah was in the south. Rehoboam did that. Uh, and he, did, he had a, a kind of a tumultuous reign. A lot of damage was done. His son did not live very long and uh, just was by like a blip. The third and fourth kings, numbers three and four, were actually pretty good. Uh, Asa and Jehoshaphat both brought about some pretty serious religious reforms, and God really blessed them. They enjoyed a measure of peace and security from being surrounded by neighbors who were generally pretty hostile. And then the bottom dropped out. Jehoshaphat was a good king, but maybe he was not such a good father. His son, Jehoram succeeded him. And Jehoram did probably everything you could think of wrong. He surrounded himself with uh, very bad advisors who were selfish and into power, but they were not into service. They also were not dialed in to the faith that had been handed to them. And they were attracted by the worship of Baal. Now, by this time, the northern kingdom had completely gone to pot. And their king, Ahab, uh, not only tolerated the worship of Baal, but he and his incredible wife, incredibly bad, and that is why I'm saying incredible, Jezebel, uh, not only tolerated the worship of Baal, they funded it as a state religion and used tax revenue to pay for prophets and priests of their Baal worship. What do you think Jehoram did? Instead of shunning that, he, he admired Ahab's style and admired Ahab's religion and wanted to be just like him. And the closest he could get was to marry Ahab's daughter. What a terrible idea. And he married a woman named Athaliah who was just as big into Baal worship as her evil parents, not learning from the suffering and hardships that came about because of it, and certainly not listening to the prophets who were trying their best to tell them not to do it. Jehoram was the firstborn of Jehoshaphat's children, but he was so nervous and insecure that upon assuming power, he arranged for the slaughter of all his brothers so that no one could challenge him. Isn't that incredible? God was very displeased with that, obviously, was shocked and disappointed. And what he did was he allowed the uh, attacks to continue surrounding them and uh, a coalition of enemies of the uh, enemies of Judah attacked them, led by the Philistines, invaded Jerusalem, and actually carried off, and who knows what happened to them, carried off all the rest of uh, Jehoram's family, except for one, one son they somehow missed. And after Jehoram died, he died an early death and through a prophetic message was told, your death is going to be drawn out and it's going to be horrible. And it really was. He had a, a bowel disease, a, a prolapse as it's called, and it, it was disgusting and it was painful and it was drawn out. And when it, he died, the Bible simply says tersely, he passed away to no one's regret. 
The people knew they were being poorly led and they couldn't wait for him to be dead. He did not get a burial with the other kings and they did not light big fires in his honor. And the power passed to his son Ahaziah. Ahaziah didn't learn a thing. He immediately formed an alliance with uh, the northern kingdom and that meant he was like dialed in not only to their political strategy but dialed into their religious strategy too. And he had the folly to get involved in the wars that were going on with uh, the nation of Israel and it, it turned out that uh, God was, was going to do a clean sweep at that time. His prophet Elisha had been given instructions by God. I want you to anoint, excuse me, Elijah, I want you to uh, prepare for the future. I want you to anoint your successor. So he anointed Elisha, who was going to become God's lead spokesman, as it were. And he said, I also want you to anoint a man named Jehu, who is going to replace the dynasty of King Ahab. I can't stand them any longer. And I want Jehu to wipe them away and start over. And I'm going to take a chance on some fresh leadership who perhaps will listen to me. And Jehu went on a personal mission, as commissioned by God, to wipe away the dynasty of Ahab. But because Ahaziah was up north where he shouldn't have been, he got caught up in that as well. And he was killed by Jehu. Now, back to Jerusalem. There's a power vacuum. What's going to happen? Well, Jehoram's queen, Athaliah, Ahab's evil daughter, is still alive. Her only son, Ahaziah, is now dead. Remember, all the other boys have been killed. Wouldn't you think that she would say, I got to protect and take care of my grandchildren? Even though her son, Ahaziah, was pretty young, he was only 23 when he was killed, he had a bunch of children. He had sons, so there was a succession possible. What do you think she did? Here's where our story begins. In 2 Chronicles 22, let's go to verse 10. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, you'd think she would do whatever she could to protect her grandchildren. Instead, all she could think of was power. That's what she had learned from her daddy and her evil mother, Jezebel. She proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. So her mission was to kill her grandchildren and anybody else who could be viewed as a threat so she could consolidate power. Yes, you've heard of all of the kings of Israel and Judah. There was actually one queen and she was it. But these six years of her being queen were some of the most miserable for God's people. They were horrible. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, so this would be... Um, uh, this would be her own daughter, the daughter of King Jehoram. That means that Jehoshaphat was Athaliah's daughter. She happened to be married to the high priest. And I, I want to have you pay attention to this woman right now. She's a, a hero of mine. And I'd like to persuade you that she can be a hero of yours as well. Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. She somehow figured out that her mother was going to go on an orgy of violence. And she thought, I can't save them all, but I can save one. 
And so she got a hold of baby Joash, just an, an infant, just a, not even a toddler yet, an arm baby, and smuggled him away, probably thinking that he's the smallest and littlest and I can hide him perhaps most easily, and took him to the temple, first in a bedroom, but then in the temple. Because Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, and though she was the wife of the priest Jehoiada, was Ahaziah's sister. She hid the child from Athaliah so she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. This woman's a hero to me. And she became a substitute mama for baby Joash. Think of the courage that that took. She was risking her own life. If Athaliah had figured out that somebody was standing in the way of her royal edict of extermination, her sword would have fallen down on Jehoshaphat too. This was a huge risk. This was a mighty act of courage, and it was a great act of love for a little child, and she wanted to give life back to that child and preserve the life of that child. Incidentally, also preserving the dynasty as Athaliah was trying to exterminate it in consolidating power for herself. So she took that risk, and she and another woman provided the care the mothering for that little boy. Now the time came when he was seven years old and now her husband, Jehoshaphat's husband, Jehoiada, figured that now is the time to make our move. So at the beginning of chapter 23, we hear that Jehoiada in the seventh year showed his strength. He made a covenant with the commanders of units of a hundred, Azariah, Ishmael, Azariah, Maasiah, and Elishaphat, and they went throughout Judea, uh, through Judah and gathered the Levites and the heads of the Israelite families, and they made a covenant with the king at the temple of God. He was a second grader, and he was going to be made king. Jehoiada then made a covenant that he and the people and the king would be the Lord's people, and they all went to the te temple of Baal and tore it down. Just think, Jehoram had actually built a temple to Baal right in the middle of Jerusalem. How horrible is that? And he gave instructions that Athaliah should be put to death. So the boy King Joash lived because of two courageous women and a wise high priest who bided his time and then became this boy king's counselor. And as long as Jehoiada was alive, Joash was an outstanding king and brought about a spiritual reformation that brought back the true worship of the Lord in Jerusalem. So these women basically saved the day, saved the dynasty. And in this way, I believe that they were agents of God, that God was somehow giving them nerve and vision um, and initiative and sensing an opportunity boldly saved a life who then in turn became an enormous blessing to the entire nation. One of the many ways in which God works behind the scenes, and although seemingly this God was absent, I believe that he was right there sending the people who were needed at the right time. And I celebrate with you this adoptive mother, Jehoshaphat, who took in a baby that she had not given birth to and assumed responsibility for his care and took on the enormous personal risk of providing that care. I want to give a shout out to all of the women who care 
for children to whom they have not personally given birth. This is a day for celebrating all the mothering that goes on. And uh, we have all been blessed in ways we cannot even begin to imagine by our mothers. But you know, a lot of what our mothers have done to us above and beyond the physical giving of birth, the shaping of our character, the teaching us how to act, giving us language itself, how to speak and decode language, helping us to become literate, helping us have a code of ethics and knowing what's the difference between good and evil, giving us encouragement and clapping and cheering for us. The world makes children seem small and stupid and brushes them out of the way. And one of the main jobs of parents is to make children feel important. And adoptive mothers and foster mothers and aunties and grandmas who do mothering can do all of these things too. And thank you, God, for sending all of this army of backup mothers into our world. We need them. We need you. If you are one of those women, we need you now and we're going to need more of you in the future. Do you know how many uh, uh, people in America have been adopted? Five million people who are adults now in the U.S., uh, perhaps as many as seven million. I've seen two different estimates. That many people have been adopted, and their lives weren't completely fixed. There still, obviously, is some pain and some brokenness. You can't fix everything but their lives were given stability and they were connected to people who could meet their needs and help their process of growing up. You know, it pleased God to create animals who in an amazing hurry get to become functioning adults in their species without having to go to school. And they learn, it's like they got the software built into their brains, just like if you buy a computer, it probably is gonna come with its operating system already installed. But people, we're born with like blank little brains. Everything has to be put in there. And God arranged that humans should have perhaps the longest of all of the species of critters on the face of the earth. God arranged that humans would take a long, long time to become functioning adults. And that makes the work of parents so very important because you cannot just throw little people out into the world to fend for themselves. They need a long period of care, a long period of education and socialization before they are able to go out on their own and function independently. Thank you, moms. Thank you, adoptive moms. Thank you, foster moms. Thank you, grandmas and aunties and all the other female relatives who are providing care for children. We absolutely need what you bring. I am grateful to my own mother, grateful to the mother of my children for the work that you have done, and I celebrate all of you today. And especially, I clap and cheer for those of you who are adoptive moms. The adoptive moms to the five to seven million Americans. Do you know one in three Americans has got an adoption as part of their extended family? We do in our family, and I am very appreciative of the adoptive mothers in my family. Do you know that this year in 2020, over 600,000 children in America are going to be passing through the foster care system, and at any given moment, at least 450 of them are living in foster care right now. Why? Because there is probably at the center of it a mama 
who did not give birth to those children, but who is willing to put herself out, put herself through all the stress, take all the risk, and lay her heart out in the hopes of helping to save and shape a life, to take somebody from a life perhaps where there was chaos or some kind of brokenness where the child was unable to continue. It could be any one of a hundred reasons, and you know them all, and every one a sad story. But thank you to the foster moms and to the grannies and aunties who became mamas to help restart a child's life and to give the kid a chance, give them a shot. You cannot take away the pain from the past and you cannot fix everything that's broken, but you can give the kids a shot by giving them shelter, giving them stability, giving them your teachings of how to live, and most importantly of all, to share your faith. God uses not only birth mothers, but all of these adoptive and foster mothers and all of the relative emergency mothers uses them as one of his prime means of transmitting the gospel. So to Jehosheba and to all of her sisters, a big thank you from all of us today. This is a big deal, and I'd like to encourage all of you really to pay attention to the people who are doing the mothering and make sure we don't forget these mothers on the edges, all of the moms who have taken the chance and the risk of rejection by adopting someone who might just reject her. You know, your birth child can't, can't reject you, but adoptive children and especially foster children can walk away. And it's like tissue grafting. Sometimes the, the tissue just doesn't want to graft. And this is a risk that a mother takes when she opens up her heart and pours love into someone. Is that person going to love me back? Thank you, adoptive moms, for being willing to take that risk. Thank you for all the amazing things you have done to stabilize children's lives. Our country really needs you. I fear that these numbers are only going to go up. And this year, there are 600,000 children going through the foster system. I don't think it's going to be very long before there are going to be a million children a year in our country who are receiving care from someone other than their birth mother. The brokenness uh, because of alcoholism, drugs, and a and hundred other ills are, just only seems to me to be increasing, and we're going to need more of you. But you can't do this unless you're surrounded by an army of support. So today, as men and women, God's children, we want to pledge our support and encouragement to you to help you do your critically important job. I'd like to kind of close with a poem that I heard that I cannot shake out of my head. It, it hit me like a punch right in the chest, and I, I am just in awe of it. It's only a few lines long. It was written by a woman named Fleur Conkling Heiliger, and I'd like to share it with you today. It was written by a woman who said, I was in labor for eight years, meaning that's how long it took the adoptive process when you have to go through all of the, the waiting in lines, all the vetting, all of the jump through all the legal hoops before you actually have an adoptive child. She said, I was in labor for eight years with you. And this is her little Mother's Day poem to her daughter. And here's what she wrote. Not flesh of my flesh, nor bone of my bone, 
but still miraculously my own. Never forget for a single minute. You, d you didn't grow under my heart, but in it. Thank you, moms. Thank you, adoptive moms. Amen.